0: hello everybody and welcome to our podcast spilling tea with the g's i'm your host nick Galarakis, and i am joined by my brother steve Galarakis. we are delighted to be teaming up for what we expect to be a fun and insightful podcast season filled with people in the adolescent and young adult cancer community or better known by the acronym aya the purpose of this season is to look at services and resources that might be forgotten by the aya cancer community So people can learn more about what is out there that can help them live their life how they want to. Before I introduce this session's interviewee, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that we could not make this podcast possible without the amazing supporters from the following organizations, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Genentech, Servier, and Walgreens. These amazing organizations support our mission at the Stephen G. Cancer Foundation and Elephants in Tea. To make sure no AYA faces cancer alone, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, or location. If you know someone at one of these organizations, please thank them for all that they do for our community. Today's guest is Danielle Ralich. Danielle is the founder and CEO of Ancora.ai. Steve and I had an opportunity to sit down and get a little personal with Danielle uh, and learn more about Ancora and what they're all about, specifically clinical trials, and how clinical trials, uh, the goal of Encore is to make it easy for patients. Clinical trials can provide patients with innovative treatments, and Encore is all about personalizing the experience for finding trial options. So, we had some good laughs in this one, but obviously a lot of awesome information. So, we hope you all have some great takeaways from this to kick off our season. We're spilling tea with the G's. So sit back, relax, listen, or if you're running, run, work out, whatever it is, while you're listening to this podcast, we are just super thrilled to be on your headphones. So enjoy our first episode. All right, everybody, welcome to our first episode of Spilling Tea with the G's, officially a podcast form. Uh, not our first episode of Spilling Tea with the G's. Overall, we for those that have followed us in the past, we have done two seasons on YouTube. You can check us out on Elephants and Tea's YouTube channel. But again, we're just super excited to get things going in podcast form. We feel so official, Steve.
1: And, and know, it's, it's, it's very strange. I feel like we were uh, kind of, not would say half-assing it before, but now it's now it's uh, really professional. See, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about swearing and you didn't even like,
0: you know, just you just jumped right in head first, but that's cool. It, it's fine. The it's cancer. It's cancer. For those that have not heard of us, we are Nick and Steve Galrakis brothers and yeah, we're just excited to get things going. And we're, we're inviting different people on to talk about the adolescent, young adult cancer space and awesome people that might support the patients, support the survivors or a patient survivor themselves. So we are delighted and honored to have our first guest in podcast form. Danielle, how does that feel to be like, you know, big, big time? Da- Danielle Relich, welcome to the, the Spilling Tea with the G show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I didn't know it'd be the first. I would have dressed up a little bit more, but virtually get in the mood. But, <laughs> well,
1: yeah. thankfully no one can see you. You're fine right now. Don't worry. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. no, oh, my don't goodness. Don't worry. None, none of us see that liquor cabinet behind you. It's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and now they all know.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, this The bottles is...
2: are away though. They're on we... the other
0: side. Well, Daniel, we'll call that Steve's curveball. Hopefully he won't throw anything else at you. <laughs> but uh, with that said, you know, again, seriously, though, thank you for being on. I, we know that you are the CEO founder of Ancora, which we will jump into more here in a second and uh, talk about clinical trials today. And this this whole first season of Spilling Tea with the Gs, we really want to focus on different areas of things that might be forgotten or people that might not just know what's out there from a resource standpoint, amongst other things too. But obviously, uh, with, with your history, your profession, and your organization, the clinical trial aspect is what we want to talk about today. Uh, and also making fun of Steve, but that's okay. So um <laughs> and, and and Danielle again, thank you. And let's let's just get to the first question for you. And I think that this is something that people should just know more about is who is Ancora, right? You know, why why start Ancora when you did?
2: Yeah, no, thanks for the thanks for the question. I guess to start out, I'll have to take you back in time <laughs> to uh to Boston. Um so a little bit about kind of where I started. I started with a uh, major in information systems and uh, actually wanted to be pre-med, want to be a doctor to help people and quickly found out through my dad saying a joke about a guy who went through med school and then figured out he couldn't see blood. And then that obviously didn't go super well for him. So I made myself watch surgery videos and found out I also share that trait where I don't particularly enjoy things like that. And uh, I just happened to be, and Boston's an important part because I happened to be then um, studying information systems in Boston, obviously a city really big on health and tech. And uh, there my professor was like, well, Jesus, Danielle, like why don't you just combine the two? And I was like, what a brilliant idea. So um, he was actually studying the first um, electronic medical record implementation at the time, and so I was uh, his assistant looking at doctors' conversations and nurses about the tool, and it was so exciting. I mean, from a tech point, you were you really saw like, hot damn, like tech's gonna make a difference. Like this is a game changer. And I mean, we were studying case studies in other industries. So when I fell into it, you know, it, it was in Boston, definitely like just super excited about the potential of tech to really make healthcare better. And um, yeah, from the intro, you see my, my parents are from Croatia. My whole family is from there. And, uh, you know, I definitely see how different healthcare is depending on where you are, um, you know, and so many other factors. So it, it really bothered me. And from a tech perspective, you know, what does tech do really well? Um, it should serve up information on a personalized level, right? Democratize things. Tech's just like a, a cruncher. So for me, it's obvious, it's been a very really obvious answer to kind of our healthcare issue. So with that, I was able to work as a tech consultant in healthcare, worked for public sector, health and human services department. I worked for hospitals. I worked for pharma, uh, doing that in Boston and then in LA and Zurich. Um, the whole time, you know, being able to kind of stay close and I'd say like see different or healthcare in different lenses. And I think the most like privileged lens would be through pharma where, I mean, they're an important stakeholder Uh, but you definitely see a lot more information that, you know, in a personal sense, I never saw or understood. And one of the big ones uh, that hit me was clinical trials, where that was one of my last projects that I I was doing. And we were looking at like predicting patient enrollment rates and trials. And it was so interesting because the whole project was like, how do we get this information out there? And it was all about like, just tell more doctors, tell more doctors. And you know, one of the questions or the things that we brought up was like, hey, why don't why don't we think about telling the patients? Like, you know, maybe they should know about this. And it was just the thing, like, no, no, it doesn't make sense. And you know, I mean, if you think about it, if healthcare is perfect, you know, sure, like this should be in the hospital that this is always thought about, and that's definitely like the answer. But right now it's just we don't have the right support and services to be able to do that. And so, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the burden of care care is on families and those that are sick and it's us kind of advocating for ourselves and I saw that a lot personally um I, you know my family definitely doing a lot of advocating for their care and um, I've definitely become like the healthcare friend as well where it's like I'm definitely not equipped to be that kind of person but you know I, I was going through clinical trials for friends because I had learned about it and I was like this is such a cool thing like how does nobody else know about this you know at least in my circles you know and so all of that was kind of happening, and it all sort of culminated when I was out hiking, and um, a really nice man asked us uh, to take his picture, uh, it was him and his wife out there. And when we started talking, he's like, tell me about yourself, you know, what do you do for work? And at the, that point, I was doing that project, so I was like, oh yeah, I'm working on pdl one inhibitors and, and looking at trials. He's like, Oh, wow. He's like, Peter, that's, that's super cool. Have you thought about X, Y, Z? And he's talking to me about it. So I was like, wow, I was like, so cool. Like you must be a doctor, right? And he's like, Oh no, no, no. I'm a cancer survivor. And I was like, Oh wow. Like you, you know so much. And like, how do you know about all this? Like, Oh yeah. Well I was actually on a CAR T trial at stage four and um, it, it worked and you know, I'm out here now every day, you know, just making up for lost last time and he's out hiking with his wife. And I was like, oh my God, I have to ask you, like, how did you find out about this? And he said, yeah, it was just through my wife's aunts, friends, uncles, neighbor, you know, just like literally as happenstance as it can get. Um, And it, it saved his life, you know, and if you think about it, it's like, should luck really be how we find care? Like, absolutely not. And yeah, I just think that everything as like yep this is what we need to fix you know and here's like a great great point where tech can jump in I mean and and, you know because I was looking at the problem in terms of also why is this such an issue like why don't patients know about this why are not all doctors thinking about it and it's just like way too much information and not enough time and that's one of the things that yeah if we put tech in the mix I think it could be just such a, a huge tool to help us fix that So we got cracking back in 2018 on these models. At the time, it was also looking at like, yeah, you know, we've done a lot in tech in terms of um, artificial intelligence. I've always been on the business intelligence side. So doing like pretty lame reporting in the beginning, and thankfully it's gotten fancier and fancier and a little more exciting. But I was looking at natural language processing, which is a type of AI that basically takes words and, and sentences and decodes meaning. And it just looked like the perfect match for, for the clinical trials problem. So we got cracking back in 2018 with the hypothesis of, like, can this work? You know, everyone keeps telling it's not possible. Um, you also saw some pretty epic fails of attempts of this. I uh, probably won't want to mention that yet, but <laughs> like, so let's say a lot of hype, oh, not a lot of delivery. And so that's why it took us a year just to say, like, yeah, you know, can we actually do this? Like, are we crazy? And um, yeah, we ended up starting to figure it out. We did take a different approach. I'm happy to talk more about that. But, um, you know, we were looking at like, how do we be successful at this? And we've seen what big players have tried. And we know healthcare is so special and especially clinical trials are so special in terms of the data uh, and what it really represents. And we needed a new creative way to, to approach it. So, yeah, we were able to prove that out, launched our patient version in 2020, right before the pandemic. Great timing for <laughs> that's all right. It's never a perfect time. And we just launched our physician version earlier this year. So yeah, it's been a bit of a journey, but um, yeah, we're, we're just super excited by all of it.
0: That's awesome. And, and it's a few thoughts on that. Number one, I remember when when Ancora was first introduced to me and I can't remember if, if Emily had reached out to us, Emily Jordan on the team or Megan Claire Chase was like, Hey, Nick, you need to check this out. And I remember going to your website after seeing other clinical trial websites in the past, and it was just like, just kind of, you're sitting like, wait, it's really that easy to look something up? Like, this is really cool. Uh, and, you know, to your point, <clears throat> the 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 getting in front of patients, I think is genius because a lot of people just assume that patients aren't doing their own homework for whatever reason, you know, and I'm obviously a family member and there was homework that we did. I wasn't the actual patient themselves. So I thought that that was just amazing that you made it so simple for folks to really understand what's out there. uh, Right. The, the, the whole, I I am not a techie person. So to try to even like think about the whole AI that goes behind that and and everything else. But I just thought from an aesthetic standpoint, it was just brilliant on, on how easy it was for people just to go to your website and learn about what's there. And then well, secondly, I, what what and, and if I can real t- real quick, that that hike, that to to actually run in an individual in that way is just mind blowing.
2: Yeah, it blew my mind <laughs>
0: absolutely.
2: <laughs> like I made sure to like shake his hand. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I just want to remember this. So, like yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah no it's so wild i mean on on your point before i mean that's one of the things you we were looking at also it's like um you know how do we really help people feel empowered to think about it and not get intimidated it's also clinicaltrials.gov i mean you hit that you start you put in your cancer yeah your location and it's just like you want to start crying as soon as you start to see the data come back at yep. t- i mean you don't even know where to start and this is I mean, we've even heard from doctors that it's, quote, humbling to go through clinicaltrials.gov. And that's doctors who are oncologists, right? So it's like, how do we expect patients to be able to, to access that? And, like, and why do we make it so difficult to get information that ultimately, like, we need them to participate? We need, you know, it's just so mind-blowing to me.
1: Well, and and you touched on two things there, Daniel. One, and what you just last said, and also when you were uh, first talking about Ancora and why you started it, was it sounds like you noticed one of the big problems in oncology right away. And it's not that doctors aren't wonderful; it's that one, they're they're already so ingrained in what they're taught and how to do things. But then also the lack of time that they have to do this research. You know, we as patients expect doctors to know everything. You know, and that's. Good and bad, because as we know, they don't know everything. They usually just know where to look for things. And making that process easier for the doctors and then also for patients obviously is going to help with outcomes, helping you feel more, as you put it, the democratization of knowledge. Knowing that you aren't sitting there behind the wall going, What are they doing for my treatment? What are they doing? How are they looking for these things? Are they just making this up as they go? And giving that power to the patient to look for things, I think, is really wonderful. And it kind of leads to our next question actually is, you know, for so many, I mean, even for me starting off as a cancer patient early on, clinical trials in my mind were this last resort option. Nothing else has worked. I'm on my deathbed. What is the last chance I have to survive? And we know that's not the case. Clinical trials are there for so many other reasons. And I guess if you could speak to that, you know, that that idea that clinical trials aren't just a last resort, that they are this method and this tool we use to help survivors understand cancer better, et cetera. If you could speak to that, you know, and how it's not just a last resort, I think it'd be really important for our listeners to understand that as a patient, clinical trials are available to anybody through different stages of their cancer journey.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, and I guess just to take a step back then, um, you know, what are trials? So, So, trials themselves are, when we're looking at new treatments, diagnostics, yeah, ways to manage um, side effects after, we do have to get it through this process of generating the evidence around it. And that goes then to being able to get the right approvals and of course, you know, insurance, determining payment, things like that. So it's really an important pre-step, critical pre-step to getting medicine out to the wider population. And trials are a, a, to me like an opportunity to access some of that before. And there's really a variety of stuff. We've been going through the data a lot, as you can imagine, over the past couple of years. But some stuff's absolutely, I mean, just super, super cool. I mean, there's things ranging from yeah, new types of treatments like gene therapy to VR to manage side effects. I mean, really a huge wide array of, of options and things that are being investigated and now the whole virtual trial movement is even easier to participate. So it's just it's it's super cool to see all that happening. And um, the kind of the stereotype of this as really a last option is one that like kills my soul to be honest, because we get so many people coming to us exactly at that point, you know, when it's last option and unfortunately a little too late. And you know, I just wish that they had come to us, you know, six months before and asked us because yeah, I mean, you, you do need, I mean, there's just, sorry, there's just such great things there. And some of them it's like, you, you have the eligibility criteria which says, who are they looking for and what you should not have had to be able to participate. And so if you already go through a slew of treatments, you know, you're kind of taking away some of those options and trials to me are just options. And you wanna really have all the cards on the table, you know, to be able to pick what's that best treatment for you. And some of the new stuff, as, and we started with cancer, because we just saw how awesome, like some of the treatments are that, are that are coming out. And I mean, like the CAR-T therapy to me is just like, that's um, incredible medicine, incredible science. And, and there's so many other things being investigated. And it's, you know, some of those could help people, especially if chemo is really tough uh, radiation therapy is super tough. So, the, you know, if there are nicer treatments out there, why not think about that just you know, as you're getting diagnosed and put that on, on the table. And now with personalized medicine, you know, being able to look at targeted mutations and again, finding kind of some of these stronger treatments, maybe a, a, less tolling on the body, just, just super cool options. But if you don't think about it until it's really your last one, then you just miss out on on all these things. So for me, if there's anything I could ever like just make a poster or tattoo on my body, it would be like, please (laughs) think about trials like at all points. And it's just, think of it as another option. If that could be the one thing maybe people take
1: away from today, that would also make me feel a lot better. Well, and and I think it's important that our listeners also understand that even for me, so I was a part of per se a clinical trial. It wasn't for treatment, but it was more of a historical study. Looking at versus host disease after a bone marrow transplant, we know so little about it. And it was a study purely designed to just understand the effects. What happens? What do you normally, you know, what, from everything from your blood change to your skin change to your emotional change when you're going through this disorder that comes after a bone marrow transplant. And having those kind of studies, I think is just so important because again, it, especially for those more niche cancers that don't affect so many people, we just don't know a lot about them. And understanding the effects that the body goes under just through regular cancer prognosis and then through also the treatment is so important for future patients and future people and future doctors to help with future prognosis for patients, treatment, and all of those things. So it's, it's really wonderful the work that you're doing and, and what you're trying to do and the message you're trying to get out about clinical trials and how it's not just a last resort.
0: I guess I got, I kind of have a follow up to that too. And from just from the standpoint of this kind of will lead into our next question too. But is there a, an issue of, I guess, why from, why has it always been the last resort? I mean, is there even an answer to that? Is it a trust thing? Is it a knowledge thing? You know, I, I don't, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking it. But just curious if you have any thoughts on that, Danielle.
2: Oh, I definitely have thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, warning. No. Warning. Okay. Warning. And from Boston. Yeah. So you might, yeah, I already read about that part. <laughs> you're, just, you're
0: just spilling tea with us, Danielle. That's, That's all. right.
2: That's right. <laughs> Right. Be
0: honest.
1: Be truthful. Tell us how you feel.
2: Sure. <laughs> I usually get the opposite advice. <laughs> just like, like rein it in, but we'll try for today. Yeah, I have a slide that says um, it has the poop emoji. So I, you know, thats a
0: beautiful know. way to start this this discussion here. <laughs> There's a, poop that, I love it. Anyway,
2: oh, I might use the more um, descriptive version of that emoji, but yeah, no, I mean. So to be totally honest, I think it's just because it's a total shit show and it's a total shit show from so many angles. I mean, just to start from the data side. So if I were a doctor to go through it, I mean, there is no way to effectively go through that information with the tools they have now. So, I mean, you can't expect unless. Yeah. If you guys are um, big Star Trek fans, if you're data, sure, like you could figure out how to process that. But if you're not, there's just no chance. And there's so much information out there. And there's, I mean, this is just one to figure out, is there a trial that I should be looking at? Is something interesting? That's just step one. Rip took about the rest of the steps, which I would also label as shit show, but we'll start with step one. <laughs> so from the physician side, you know, you can understand why, Why it's not something you actively consider for patients, you know, not to mention, you probably all write about this, the wonderful electronic medical records that was supposed to be so game changing, weren't implemented super well, so they actually brought on a ton of physician burnout, so it's actually kind of going the other way of how tech people envisioned, but I mean, with that, it's like you have super limited time with the patient. You don't even have enough time to explain to them, you know, the the main aspects of, of what you're trying to communicate. And then you've got to go chart later and you sleep a couple hours a night. Right. You can't expect them to know this. So who are the guys who are thinking about it? The people who are thinking about it are the ones who are at a research hospital or at a conference, might have heard about it. Again, this comes back into that whole like luck work stream. (laughs) uh, Yeah, this just happens to have crossed their their path at some point, or they call another uh, colleague and ask them, hey, you know, this is what's happening. um, You know, do you have any ideas? But to get to that point of, do you have any ideas? It's probably got to be somebody in a tougher situation, right? And maybe someone who's tried a few things and needs a different option. So it's just we've made it impossible for doctors to try to find it. The text that we have, we have a wall of shame. Um, that we've been logging, because some of the stuff we've seen inputted into clinicaltrials.gov is just like, holy shit, no one cares. <laughs> like, like, like. I mean, but you understand, it. it's like, you know, they're putting it in to be, like, check the box, right? Who's going back to make sure that they put in thing like, the information I mean, correctly, for the most part, it's correct, but Represented in a way that somebody else could read it. It's like a different one. When we do code reviews, we talk about understandability and this is one I would say clinicaltrials.gov fails a lot. And you have so many ways to represent things as well. Um, you know, the example I always give is with a performance score, Karnofsky or ECOG or um, to put it in human terms, just like, can you walk or are you restricted to a bed? three ways to represent that, actually four, I think. And so, you know, if you think of that, like that's just such a basic measure. Now think of like lab tests for organ functions and all the ways we can talk about it. So we've just made the information just absolutely impossible to handle. And the other, I think the last component is also that it's the bleeding edge of medicine in a way. This is really like, when we think of all these cool innovations that are happening, it's here. And so we haven't figured out how to talk about a lot of those things. We're like, what's the right structure? And yeah, things with oncology are just getting even more complicated. So we're looking at mutations. We're looking at, you know, we're understanding the body better, but we're still understanding it. So, you know, while we're, we know how to talk about it, that's shifting. So it's kind of like this moving target. And yeah, just to go back to it, there's just no way doctors and nurses can like actively think about it for every patient without the use of technology. And, you know, as if you guys have dealt with insurance claims, I'm sure you know how much fun doctors have with those. And so, yeah, trials follow sometimes a similar thing of, you know, trying to get a patient over so we don't make it super easy on the, the next steps as well. So all sorts of things are just kind of falling apart. But if you look at it, it's definitely information load, um, overload, and just no streamlined processes for how we're going to manage this. So yeah, a lot of thoughts on that, but it shouldn't be the patients who have to think about it. With, that's kind of our big thing. But uh, yeah, just unfortunately, the way healthcare is, and we've all lived healthcare and seen it, uh, you know that, unfortunately, you do have to, to be your own advocate a lot of the time.
0: Thank you for that. I, I think that so well said. And ultimately, too, a lot of for the physicians, there's only so much time in the day, right? As much as we, I, I, the medical records, we can have a whole conversation about that on a different day. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. But yeah, you know, I mean, think about everything you just said there. And then, oh, by the way, clinical trials, right? So it's like the Back to your point of, you know, the the Star Trek reference, which was fantastic um, to have, you know, for those that don't know who Data is, he's essentially a a cyborg, correct? If we were like a right. uh, So, yeah, so he can compute very quickly where humans cannot. So anyway, so to your point, yeah, there needs to be this technology and Sancora and and, and things like that for everything that they do to make things smoother as an easier process for the patient okay so let's let's move on to our next question and thank you for that Danielle for kind of the off the cuff reaction to why and I have a feeling that we could go on and on about that too uh, with different stories and and the poop emoji, which was just perfect. kind of summed everything up with, with that right there. <laughs> so question three for you that we have I obviously diversity is a big issue. In the medical space, but specifically clinical trials. I believe you have a statistic on your website that says 86% of those that participate in clinical trials are white. That's a problem, uh, to say the least. And I know that this is a big thing that Ancora has been focusing on. So I, I for just to just to ask, you know, how is Ancora doing with that? How are they helping kind of close that gap to get more people to participate in clinical trials?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, the diversity one we, yeah, we saw is a huge, huge issue. I mean, it it's diversity in a lot of ways and has huge impact. Um, I think there's a prostate cancer prediction scores, uh, artificial intelligence model is being built up to predict it. And they didn't take people whose ancestry was African-American. And so lo and behold, it's great at predicting for people of European descent and then totally misses out on uh, the actual, the group that has the highest prevalence of prostate cancer. So, um, you know, we've just seen so many fails, um, with diversity. I mean, it just, it just hurts. It's definitely not helping us in making healthcare better or democratizing it or, you know, making sure we're taking care of people. So it's a huge, it's so important to us. And, um, well, the thing that we looked at was, yeah, how do we fix it? How do we actually do something that can make an impact? So one is certainly on the patient side where we do our best to engage with smaller communities, just giving them this information. A lot of times, um, yeah, if you think, especially in like rural places as well, a lot of people don't get information about trials. I think the only people we've bumped into that heard about trials were mostly um, big cities, these research hospitals, like definitely privileged in a way to be able to even know about this as an option early on. So we do a lot in terms of patient outreach, Community outreach, uh, just getting that information out there. Um, another one that's important for us is putting information um, in other languages as well. So I mentioned how my family, um, you know, weren't native English speakers, and so it can be really intimidating, you know, if you're if you're trying to understand your health healthcare and it's not your native language, you know, and English isn't the easiest to pick up on either. So there's <laughs> so quite a few things there. So we've been we've been tackling that on the patient side. On the, you know, how do we really solve it? It has to be in the clinical setting, if we're we're being honest. And it's how do we help physicians and nurses kind of overcome biases that also mean they're not suggesting trials to patients. And that's one of the big kind of factors for the diversity problem as well. And we've heard things like the bias might be, yeah, oh, they don't, you know, know the language, so they're not going to want to participate Or, oh, you know, people of this background don't typically participate, so it's not worth it trying to bring it up to them. Uh, And other things are even for um, things like genetic mutation testing. A lot of the time, people of color aren't being suggested to have that testing done. And to be on a lot of trials, you have to know what mutations you have. So there's, there's kind of all these factors happening in a clinical setting that, yeah, if we're not addressing the problem there, we're not really solving it at the heart of it. You know, we've heard a lot about earning trust as well uh, in terms of the physicians or in the clinical setting, earning trust of the communities uh, to make sure we can get more diverse populations. I think that onus is still back on clinicians themselves, the healthcare systems. So while I'd say, you know, we do do work uh, on the patient side just for that kind of empowerment awareness, just like this conversation today, (laughs) is so important just knowing this is an option. I can ask about it. It's in my right. That's super important, but really, if I think of most of our efforts, it's how do we reach physicians, nurses, make sure they're thinking about this for all their patients, and I think tech can even help us overcome biases. If it's an automated piece that we've trained right and we have a inherited biases, then tech can be another way to kind of overcome it. So we've been focusing all our efforts there. Uh, yeah, and I the big one is also getting it out to community oncologists, Uh, community nurse navigators, just to, again, make sure that clinical settings is is doing a better job.
0: Great. No, it's so well said. The the clinical, it has to start in the clinical setting, right? I I think that that is trust the change, that's where it has to happen. We can obviously have all these conversations as much as possible. And it's good that we we need to continue to have these conversations. I think it's interesting that people also, you know, these conversations have been going on for a long time, right? And I think that obviously a lot of things came to light last year but it's important to continue to bring things up and recognize the statistic of 86% of people in clinical trials are all white. Like that's just mind blowing. And the symptom side of things too, that you mentioned as well. I remember when that was brought up to me for the first time, you know, being someone that was somewhat oblivious to that uh, just in general, you don't even think about it. Right. And then when you do look at it, it's like, wait, so someone's eliminated because they didn't have the symptoms, but they never would get that symptoms because the color of their skin. It's like, wait, what? So, yeah. So that's, uh, obviously so so many issues there and i applaud you all for, and at core to continue to help that conversation as well too uh in in getting people more and more to think about things outside the box and not shouldn't even be outside the box right i think that's why we're having these conversations they should be inside the
1: box and second nature if you will
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, well and uh, and you know and you also uh Again, this even goes back to what you first said when we went with our first question, why Ancora and the idea of democratization of knowledge, yeah. because one of the biggest issues we have with scientific knowledge in this world is that it sits behind paid you know, gateways that the average person never has access to. Yeah. And most doctors either do have access or they just don't care about it and or, or have the time to look into it. So by giving the people that tool, you almost force it upon the clinical side. Mm -hmm. Because there's, as you, you know, as we, as we all know, there's no better advocate for one's health than oneself. And if you have that knowledge and that, and those resources, and you know, they exist, you can just, every time you see your doctor, you can put it in their face and say, this exists. Why aren't you using this? Can you use this? You know, and we need more things like Ancora for that democratization of information, because as we've seen this last year with the pandemic and everything else, average person doesn't understand science. And that's not to their own fault. You know, how can you be expected to understand the genes that you have wrong with your cancer, how your cancer treatment is, and all the things behind it when your doctors have to look up the information to give yeah. to you? So I think by providing that information right away, it takes out those, those biases. If, of course, as you put it on the tech side, it's been done right, yeah. uh, which it sounds <laughs> like Ancora is trying their best to do everything right from that side and so again that just that democratization is really wonderful and that leads into our i guess kind of our last idea last question that we really have for you is what advice do you have for patients that are you know recently diagnosed or going through or going through treatments you know what if any advice do you have for them for clinical trials and getting that information in front of them and their doctors
2: yeah for for patients i, mean, I just go back to saying like it's just such an important option to have on the table and you know, if you think that you wanna you wanna pick your best treatment plan, your best option, you need to have clinical trials out there. And one of the ones is you, know, you may feel intimidated, or you know, should I ask? I know I've been in front of the doctor, and I like told myself in my head like I'm gonna ask about all these things. And I had it written down, and I chickened out, and I'm so embarrassed by it. I'll never do it again. I hope, but I mean, I know it can be so intimidating. And you know, you have a couple minutes, and uh, I mean, there's so many things about the whole experience that. Just don't make it very easy to have that conversation, but you really, you have to know you're going to be doing what's best for you and you have to ask, you know, and we've heard from, from patients, one said it took her three oncologists to find oncologists who would think about trials for her. Three oncologists, that's... That's wild. <laughs> it's like when you hear about second opinion, you know, you, that already feels like a stretch for most people. And then thinking about like, no, I'm gonna, I've got to keep going, I got to keep fighting, and all that's super hard. But I think um, you really have to just make sure you can think about it. Don't feel intimidated. Make sure to ask. It's in your right to ask. And if the person you're asking isn't listening, it's your right to find somebody else who's listening. So that would be my. My most important takeaway for it and to keep having these conversations, I think, is that I I only learned about trials just from, you know, luck of being working in pharma and learning about it. And I try to tell everyone I know about it, like, you have to understand, like, this is an option. And, uh, you know, we just need those conversations to be happening, to make it more common, to not to make it less intimidating. And you know, we've seen such awesome movement also when patients are activated and like, and we're all, you know, we're all patients right at the end of the day, but when we're all talking about it, pushing for it, then we see change. And I know you guys do a lot of stuff on that advocacy side. You know, it's, it has to come from us in a way. I mean, we, and that's where I see the changes happening in terms of we having a lot of conversations about financial toxicity. How do you make participating on trials easier? But if we're not talking about it and we're not asking for that change, like it's not going to happen naturally. I mean, you know, the people running the trials aren't really—they're you know, not feeling that pain like we're feeling that pain. And so, you know, there's so many good things that can happen when we talk more about it, when we push for for better. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's unfortunate. It has to be that way. You know, perfect world, I guess we'd always be doing the best that we can. And I think we all know at this point we're not in a perfect world. So it is coming from us, but. More conversations like this, always considering it. it, is just gonna gonna help us get healthcare to a better spot.
1: And this actually leads me to my slight curveball question that you know Oop. Nick kind here we of go. warned you it about. Was here we go. <laughs> Knew it was coming. But don't worry, right. it's, it's it's off of the same vein, you know, because we've talked about getting information in front of doctors, you know, patients being aware of these things. But let's let's be honest here. When you're recently diagnosed with cancer, you're not thinking straight. You're barely thinking as it, as it is. You're barely functioning. Your brain has literally turned into a pile of shit. You know. And so I, I exactly poop emoji <laughs> um, with the big smiley face on it, <laughs> like a confused face, I guess. But uh, the question oh, I have ow. is or more of the idea is, has have you thought about going to social workers with this information? Because as we know, at the end of the day, the, you know, if a hospital is, is a truly good hospital, unfortunately, we know there's a lot of hospitals that just aren't good. They're just not, let me be quite frank. And social workers help bridge that gap between patients and doctors in a way that doctors don't have time to, and the patient is absolutely fried and can't. So do you have a method that you go about reaching out to social workers? Is that something you're thinking about or doing? You know, Please expand if you have any information on that.
2: Yeah, great curveball, great curveball um yeah we we started with the oncologists thinking you know they're the most pressing ones and actually they came up to us at a couple conferences just when we were showing the patient one and they're saying like god we need that and we were like wait you don't have something like this <laughs> that was kind of the, the starting point of the doctor one but actually by working with you hospitals exactly what you're talking about social workers you mean like the nurse side that's been brought up and in terms of like oncologists, oncologists are like yeah this is cool it's great Needed, but I still don't have time. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So um, where we've kind of naturally come to to that conclusion. But to be honest, it's probably been the most exciting part of it because I, I do think that's where real change can happen. Like to your point, um, yeah, patients are exhausted, and I still don't think it's the burden of the patients. Just unfortunately, healthcare is a little lopsided right now, and we need to kind of <laughs> bring it back to you know the healthcare system, not the patient. But I think the social workers, um, nurses, yeah, they're they're definitely the the right people to target, and um, that's our next big focus, uh, for exactly the reasons you mentioned. And I think it's just gonna gonna help us affect that change a lot better.
0: Nothing like sirens just to like capture. Yeah, it I was gonna say day. what a what a, <laughs> what a what <laughs> great, a, great a, close out. <laughs> yeah, but a great warning, warning <laughs> great, great response. And for those listening to this, the stateside, you are obviously not stateside, based on those sirens there. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's amazing, isn't it? The like the, the sirens, you can tell like what like, Europe it sounded
1: like. Europe, yeah, we, yes.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. It
2: was casual but soothing. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> oh my god, <goodness>. slightly alarming. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah.
0: Well, Danielle, you survived Steve's curveball, so thank you for that. And you I think you it was too bad? Wasn't. Could be could have, could have been a lot worse. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot worse. But no, seriously, though, Danielle, thank you so much for all the insight. And if people want to check out Ancora, it's Ancora, A-N-C-O-R-A dot A-I, correct? Correct. Okay. Cool. So for, for the folks that are listening and they want to check out Ancora, uh, learn more about what they're about, learn more about clinical trials, Ancora dot A-I. Uh, highly recommend the website. You've heard us talk about it this entire episode now, so definitely check it out. Uh, and Danielle, again, thank you so much for being our first, technically first ever podcast interview on Spilling Tea with the G's. Um, super, super so excited! Honored. I mean, heck, we went international for the first episode. I no. just realized that I was, you know, <laughs> unintentional. Go um, so. big or go home, mm-hmm. right? Hey.
2: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: Goodness gracious! Well, Danielle, again, thank you so much, and thanks, and really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so we'll 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 have everybody uh, listen to our next episodes, and we're super excited for more to come this season. Uh, and be on the lookout for that. Our thanks to Danielle for joining us for this episode talking about clinical trials and how they don't have to be the big boogeyman in the closet. Our next episode features our dear friends, Gus Kingman and Aaron Leibowitz. Steve and I have gotten to know Gus and Aaron on a very personal level over the past year, and we invite them on to talk with us about the power of friendship and how that impacts survivorship. It's a very unique story. You don't want to miss it, so definitely listen to that one. And as always, don't forget to like, share, subscribe to our podcast As all of this helps us grow our reach so more people can feel less alone in facing cancer. Again, I'd like to thank and acknowledge those that helped make this podcast and other areas of our organization possible Bristol Myers Squibb, Genentech, Servier, and Walgreens. These amazing organizations support our mission at the Stephen G. Cancer Foundation and Elephants in Tea to make sure no AYA faces cancer alone, regardless of race ethnicity, gender, or location. If you know someone at one of those organizations, please thank them for all that they do for our community. Have a great day, all Toodles.